Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We are underway and we are live on what is uh, promising to be a very fascinating show today. Lots of uh, soccer news to talk about around the world. From here to the Far Reaches uh, Asian World Cup qualifiers happening right now as we speak. Things going on in, in Europe and South America, but certainly still top of mind. Four days after the events in Paris are those events in Paris. And, and, and while this is a, a soccer show, a football show that focuses on those elements, uh, there may be some wider treatment to be had here. We're going to talk to our friend Jonathan Johnson, who covers French football in France. He was uh, at the Stade de France. On Friday night, when everything happened in Paris, that tragedy unfolded there, terrorist attacks across the city. We'll get John Jonathan's uh, perspective uh, being inside the stadium as Germany and France played a soccer match that continued despite the turmoil going on outside, despite the attempted suicide bombers to, uh, trying to enter the stadium, all of those things as they unfolded. Uh, Jonathan was there in the stadium. We'll get his perspective on that. We'll certainly talk about the unfolding ramifications again on the football in France and then uh, certainly on the football elsewhere. We'll get to that in the news. And then the game tonight, England and France at Wembley, that game uh, going on despite the terrorist uh, threat that exists in Europe at this current, momo- uh, current moment. We'll get into all of that with Jonathan. Should be good. Uh, stick around for that. Just a couple of minutes. Let's hit the news here again. Some of this will uh, be pertinent to our discussion that we end up having with Jonathan. Let's start with Belgium and Spain. They called off today's friendly in Brussels over security concerns. The Belgian government recommended a cancellation after a 27-year-old Belgian man was identified as the mastermind of the Paris terrorist attacks. Uh, he is uh, he has fled France. He is nowhere to be found at the moment. Uh, there have been some operations attempting to locate him within Belgium, uh, which has all led to this decision to cancel this friendly between Belgium and Spain. And, and obviously, this is a, a difficult decision. Uh, it's one of those situations where the the immediate response is let's be safe. There's also a response that says let's not cow. Let's not cower in the face of these threats. Uh, but the, ultimately, the Belgian officials decided it was better. Uh, to put this game aside, especially considering its friendly nature. At the very end of the evening, a Belgian FA was contacted by the government who made the recommendation not to play tomorrow's match. It is in the context of a new elevated terrorist alert and, a current, and the current pursuit of a suspect. We deeply regret that such a friendly match between two motivated teams has been canceled so late, and we understand the disappointment of many supporters. However, taking into account the exceptional circumstances, we cannot take any ri- security risk with players uh, and fans. Uh, so that uh, that game is not happening. What is happening is France uh, in England to take on uh, the three Lions at Wembley. The Wembley Arch will be illuminated in the red, white, and blue of the French flag. The French motto, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité, will be projected onto the front of the stadium. The words of Mar- uh, Marseillais, um, France's national anthem, will be shown on giant screens so that England fans can sing along with their French counterparts. Uh, it, it promises to be... An emotional moment at Wembley tonight. It promises to be uh, one of those one of those moments that you will not soon forget if you are lucky enough to see it. I, I'm sure that in this world of of uh, viral video and um, easy access to uh, to some of these things, you will see the video even if you are not able to watch live today. I believe those festivities kick off at two o'clock p.m. Eastern time. 
Um, so there, there will be some exper- experience for the people uh, who aren't able to watch live. But I, I imagine in that moment, exactly then, when England and France step onto that field, when La Marseillaise is played, when, uh, when the flag of France is unfurled, that there will be um, a lot of tears, uh, a, a lot of anguish, uh, but a lot of hope about healing. And again, that's the, the role that we imagine football can play in all of this. On the better side of things, Ireland has uh, beaten Bosnia-Herzegovina 2-0 in Dublin to secure a spot in the 2016 European Championships. Jonathan Walters with a brace. It was a controversial handball, uh, which may or may not be karma when it comes to uh, the Irish. I remember what happened with Thierry Henry in Paris um, six years ago. Ireland qualifies for the second consecutive time for the European Championships. Remember how much fun they were um, in uh, Ukraine and Poland last time around. It should be just as fun again for the Irish. European playoffs, second leg today, and Commonwealth World Cup qualifiers in Europe. Slovenia facing Ukraine with Ukraine leading 2-0 on aggregate. Denmark hosting Sweden with Sweden leading 2-1 on aggregate. So certainly something in that one. Uh, in Commonwealth, you have Colombia hosting Argentina. Venezuela hosting Ecuador. Paraguay hosting Bolivia, uh, Uruguay hosting Chile and Brazil hosting Peru. Certainly, lots of lots of eyes on Argentina as their World Cup qualifying campaign has gotten off to a very rocky start. They, of course, are without Lionel Messi, who is in a race to get healthy for the Clásico with Barcelona and Real Madrid. In the meantime, his national team goes on about their business, attempting to get results in the difficult Commonwealth World Cup qualifying process in Miami. The Miami New Times is reporting that David Beckham and his group that hope to bring an MLS team to the city have until December 5th to present a, 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 a completed stadium plan as part of this, uh, this proposed partnership with the uh, school board of Miami. Um, it, it's a little murky exactly how this relationship is supposed to work, but ballot language must be approved by December 22nd so that a referendum can go to Miami voters. Uh, in March, I believe, is the dates here. The current plan is to build a new soccer stadium next to Marlins Park in Little Havana. Uh, MBU, which is Miami Beckham United, would have to buy land currently owned by the city and county, as well as some parcels owned privately. Ownership of the stadium would then be transferred to Miami-Dade County Public Schools to shield the stadium from property taxes. But in return, the Beckham Group would have to provide the school board with about $1 million in benefits, including instruments to, grow, uh, to school bands. Uh, the school board would also be allowed to use the stadium for functions like graduations and band competitions, and about 50,000 square feet in the stadium would be used for educational purposes. No public money would go to the construction of the stadium. So there you go. There's the uh, the plan as it currently exists. Again, it needs to be solidified in place, presented but to the school board by December 5th so that things can progress there. Uh, again, the uh, the issue is a... Uh, a vote on the plan during March's presidential primary election in Florida. The U.S. men's national team is in Port of Spain to take on Trinidad and Tobago tonight. This is the second match of 2018 World Cup qualifying for the United States. 6.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on BN Sport. Remember, BN Sport, all away matches in World Cup qualifying for the United States are on BN Sport. The last nine matches between the U.S. and Trinidad and Tobago in Port of Spain have been decided by a goal or less. But the United States is 4-1-1 in Trinidad in World Cup qualifying. So we'll see tonight exactly what Jurgen Klinsmann, who had some choice words for criticism um, of his of his tenure and of the current state of the team, which we'll may, we may get to after we talk to Jonathan Johnson, 
Uh, we'll see how he does tonight with the United States. Their, their toughest away fixture in this particular round of the 2018 World Cup qualifying process. All right, let's take a break when we come back. Again, Jonathan Johnson, uh, French football journalist, will join us to talk about his experience and the next step for French football. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. Joined now on the phone for, by uh, well, sorry, um, by our friend who has uh, been on this program many, many times under much better circumstances, usually Mr. Jonathan Johnson, uh, who covers French football for numerous outlets, including ESPN FC. Uh, follow him on Twitter, J-O-N underscore Legossip. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, Jason. I'm very well, thanks. And yourself? I, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, uh, the last couple of days have been, um, you know, I say difficult. That's obviously relative. Difficult for me is, is, is nothing compared to difficult for everybody else involved in what has happened in, in France uh, and in Paris uh, in the last four days. But uh, it, it is hard to balance out exactly how much we put on the football in this in this context when this is about uh, much much bigger issues that are that go well beyond uh, what is a, a diversion, a, a sport, a, a lark. But it matters, and and I know you were there at the Stade de France on Friday. Can you just um, you know give us your uh, your experience, your perspective as things were unfolding on Friday night? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, t- I turned up there at the game, uh, you know, to see a match between, you know, two fantastic countries with some very talented footballers. And about 20 minutes into that, uh, the first explosion was, was audible all around the stadium, even for the players, uh, you know, in the heat of the match on the pitch. Uh, I, I have to say at that time, uh, you know, that sort of sound immediately makes you take notice. However, when you're watching games, uh, in France, in Europe, uh, you know, something that's familiar to me watching games here in Paris, uh, you, you hear those sort of you know, bangs, uh, and you immediately assume that they're firecrackers. Uh, and for, so for me, um, you know, normally that thing, that sort of thing doesn't surprise me. However, this, you know, this, this explosion did make me jump. Uh, but it wasn't really until the second one, uh, that, you know, was also very loud, much louder than a normal firecracker. Uh, that's when people really started to ask questions. I was sat in the press area. Uh, and journalists all of a sudden started to, uh, you know, draw parallels between uh, the sounds of the two explosions and, and possible bomb blasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reached half-time, uh, and that's when news started to filter out that uh, an incident uh, close to Stade de France did happen. Uh, however, you know, we were only getting, you know, sort of fragmented bits of information throughout the course uh, of the evening. At one point, uh, it was speculation that there were some uh, grenades, then at one point a nail bomb, and then, uh, you know, it eventually evolved into, uh, you know, a, a suicide bombing attempt uh, over the course of the weekend, uh, once the aftermath of everything else uh, uh, that happened in central Paris had, had, had come to light. Uh, I was inside uh, the press area when the, or when the third blast was heard. That was during half-time. Uh, and the second half started in really bizarre circumstances. Uh, everybody was obviously preoccupied with, uh, uh, with, with, with what was going on outside Stade de France, uh, certainly as far as the press were concerned. Uh, and 
at that moment, that's when we started to find out that something else, you know, something uh, far bigger, far more sinister was happening in uh, in, in central Paris. Uh, so the second half played out under very, very strange circumstances. There was a helicopter flying around at the Stade de France at one point, and, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere was very, very strange. And when France scored the second goal, they won the game to, you know, of course, uh, Gignac scored uh, a header, and it was clear at that moment that the players had no idea what was going on. The majority of the crowd as well was still in the dark about just how severe the situation was uh, outside the stadium and elsewhere in Paris. Uh, the game finished, uh, and then you saw the pictures of uh, of all the fans on the pitch. What happened there was uh, the security made an announcement uh, over the, the the loudspeaker system at the stadium that uh, certain sections of the uh, of the crowd, uh, depending on where they were sat, were not able to leave the stadium for the moment. That's when the the fans eventually uh, you know made their way onto the pitch. They were kept in the stadium for the best part of an hour, and then finally allowed to uh, allowed to leave. And during that time, as soon as uh, you know the, the match had finished. Uh, you know, the majority of us journalists had, had gone downstairs into uh, into the press room, uh, and that's when we started, uh, you know, talking to, to to numerous outlets, recounting our stories after uh, trying to get in contact with families, friends, making sure that everyone was okay. Because of course, all the details were, you know, were really starting to to gather pace uh, because uh, the the incident at. Uh, uh, at the Bataclan concert hall and uh, you know the bar and restaurant in central Paris that was still going on. So all of this was was developing while people were were wanting to know more information about what had happened at Stade de France as well. In in the aftermath of um, uh, of the events, we, we we heard that there was uh, a conscious decision not to not to stop the match and, and and certainly to keep the 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 crowd keep the people inside the Stade de France because of. Uh, you know, a potential for panic and certainly uh, c- complicating the security system, uh, security situation in, in Paris and, and around the stadium. Were you aware of that at the moment? You, you mentioned the, the, the blast and, and halftime and, and sort of the realization of what was actually happening. Uh, were you aware of, of that conscious decision? Or, or, I mean, was it sort of reasoned out within the press room? Oh, this is what's happening now? Uh, it, it, you know, it was, it was uh, reasoned out a little bit after the match, but some you know details sort of started to filter through to us uh, in, in the aftermath of the game. And at the time, no, uh, you know, I don't think anyone knew uh, the exact severity of the situation. It turned out, uh, you know, the, the information came to light a, a little while after full time that uh, President Hollande had been uh, had been uh, taken away from the stadium, evacuated after the the first blast, which was 20 minutes into the game. Uh, and you know the, we then got other uh, bits, bits and pieces of information as the as, as the night grew longer. But you know, I think uh, I, I think the the security measures taken at Stade de France on the night uh, were uh, you know I, I can't really speak highly enough of, uh, of of the of the effort that they made. Uh, you've got to remember that there was a bomb threat called in on the Germany national team hotel earlier in the day on Friday. And when I was arriving at the stadium on Friday night, it was clear that you know it was the, it was probably the largest security pre, you know uh, security presence that I I had ever seen at a France match. Uh, and you know they they obviously took that bomb threat extremely seriously. Uh, and and security was far more stringent uh, around Stade de France. And I you know I I imagine that that played a big role. Uh, in in preventing uh, you know what could have been a, a, an absolute massacre at Stade de France uh, alongside what happened in uh, in central Paris and I think that the decision to not tell the fans uh, at half time when they could have done uh, you know and, and to not cancel the game was actually the right one because even though a lot of people were kept in the dark probably for a bit longer than they would have liked to understandably um, you know if if they had been told uh, and the area wasn't clear at that time. 
you know, where they, for, for, for them to exit, there would have been mass panic. You know, there would have been crushes with people trying to get out. Uh, you know, and the situation could have been far, 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 far worse. So I think that the right decision was taken in uh, not informing the. Uh, not informing the players and, uh, and and the supporters because otherwise I think that there would have been uh, you know even more problems uh, to deal with and and there certainly would have been far more fatalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to be thankful that we still live in a world where. Uh, football fans go to a match and watch the game and are engaged in the game rather than uh, I mean I'm sure some people were checking their phones but uh, you know there there wasn't this build of of panic through the stadium because it was filtering through uh, via uh, via the internet via smartphones and, and the like um, the the other thing that we 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 heard of course was that um, the teams remained in the stadium for the duration of the night uh, that was obviously a security concern what was what was your situation what was the the press situation uh, once the fans were let out where where were you and and how did that play out well we were in the the the, pre- the press area it would have been possible for me to leave quite swiftly after full time because not all the exits in the stadium were closed and the one close to the press area was open so it would have been possible for me to go out and get straight on a train uh, you know or get in a car and and drive home but uh, you know I made the decision to stay uh, until uh, we were we were pretty much told it was you know safe enough to leave and that they needed to close uh, close the press room so uh, stayed there for a few hours afterwards. Many people in the same position, uh, you know, sort of waiting to hear news of uh, of the players, what they were doing. This is both, uh, you know, German and French press and international press as well. Uh, and you know, probably about two and a half hours, maybe even three hours after the match, that's when uh, the German delegation found out that the players uh, were going to be staying in the in the stadium uh, a bit longer. Uh, and then leaving uh, early in the morning and going straight to the airport, getting on a on a flight and and going back to Germany. Uh, we found out later on 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 Saturday that the the France team decided there and then to stay with uh, with the Germans until they left for the airport. Uh, but uh, with the, with the journalists, as soon as they knew uh, what was going to happen with. Uh, with, with the with the two national teams, that's when uh, many people started to uh, started started to leave. But there, there wasn't any uh, there wasn't any point for for the journalists after the game where we weren't, weren't allowed out, or okay. you know that we were kept sort of locked down. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that actually the stadium was uh, was kept locked down um, for for more than half an hour of the the second half. I think 15 minutes from the end, uh, people in the majority of, uh, of of the of the exits could have left. Uh, it was just the the, the, the gate J where uh, where the suicide bombing attempt happened, uh, where people couldn't really uh, get out, uh, and that's those are the people who stayed behind for the best part of an hour, and you saw on the pitch after the match. Yeah, we also uh, we also heard tale of uh, heard a story that uh, that uh, one one of the attackers attempted to enter the Stade de France with a suicide uh, with a bomb attached to his chest and was was turned away. Certainly, I, I don't know that you have any other details uh, beyond what I have, Jonathan. But just to recognize that there was, uh, as you mentioned, not only w- was there um, the typical security, there was actually some more robust security because of the bomb threat uh, with the Germans. And and, and in, in that respect, certainly the security involved there did their job while while they were unable to uh, to perhaps stop that gentleman from. From uh, exploding that bomb later on, there was uh, there there was clearly something in place there to deal with this. And I, I well beyond that, I don't know if you have any comment on on certainly on that incident. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said earlier, I, I can't I can't commend highly enough the you know the job that the security did at Stade de France on the night. You know, I think that it was you know they they did 
everything that was required uh, of the Le Mans, and you know, I think it's thanks to them that the, uh, you know, the, the the situation in Paris is not worse than it already is. Uh, you know, I think they did a a, a a fantastic thing, and I think, as I mentioned before, um, thanks to the security having been stepped up because of the the, the bomb threat in the Germany national team hotel. Uh, you know, I think that that extra bit of that extra kick of security really showed, uh, you know, exactly yeah. uh, how important it's going to be now ahead of the Euros, you know, in the wake of, of, of these attacks on Paris with people wondering how security is going to cope uh, yeah. with potential incidents like that. I think, you know, this is this has already shown uh, exactly how uh, the security at, at big venues for the Euros would uh, would react to this. And, I, you know, I think it was uh, uh, their effort, uh, you know, was a, was, was a successful one. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think that you can expect security to be stepped up even more mm-hmm. uh, for the for the Euros next summer. It, it's going to be a different experience. I mean, we, we we don't live in a carefree society anymore, and, and maybe that's been long gone. Uh, we gave up that ghost uh, a generation ago, Jonathan. But certainly, uh, the 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 feeling of being in in a stadium to to watch a soccer match to watch a football match especially at an event like the euros next summer and all indications are that the the french authorities are going to do everything they can to make sure that that tournament happens in france and is secure it's going to feel very different than it might have before this yeah absolutely you know i think a lot of people are going to give second thought now to whether they want to take up the tickets that they've already booked for themselves or you know perhaps trying to pursue tickets to see their national teams play uh if you know they're only just qualifying at the moment uh and i think you know certainly the journalists in uh in in paris uh going to matches uh ahead of the euros uh, and at the euros you know you will give it that extra uh bit of thought bit of consideration uh and i you know i think that there are some people who will be put off by it but at the same time uh, you know, as much as I think that the the the, the two attacks this year uh, on Paris, you know, this one that we had just last Friday, and then the Charlie Hebdo uh, attack as well, I still think that you know Paris is uh, is, is as safe as as any other city in uh, in Europe. You know, I think that any other major capital uh, could have been attacked in uh, in the same manner. Uh, you know, hopefully hopefully it won't happen, but you know it could possibly happen in the future somewhere else. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's the right decision to go ahead uh, with the Euros. But I also think that, you know, they are going to need to think uh, more more about the, the the security at every venue um, ahead of the tournament. I'm sure that they were already going to take every possible, uh, you know, measure to make sure all the games are secure. But now, you know, this reinforces the fact that they absolutely have to, uh, you know, leave. Uh, uh, no stone unturned in uh, in coming up with potential scenarios that they want to try and avoid. So, uh, you know, I'm, I have full confidence that uh, you know that they will uh, be able to make Euro 2016 uh, a safe and secure tournament. Yeah, there's a, there's some time to to build up to that to reinforce uh, their security plans ahead of the Euros in 2016. But in the meantime, there are there are matches, there is football to be played, and um, uh, we have the reaction within France. And Jonathan, just give me a, a quick sketch of, of how uh, French football authorities responded to this. I, I know that games are going to go ahead this weekend, and, and you know, in light of these ish, these incidents, the, there, there's two minds. There's let's not uh, uh, let's let's not cower in fear and, and allow the terrorists to induce terror, and there's well, we have to protect people. Let's let's be uh, let's be uh, very very careful about what we do. Yeah, I mean, in the immediate aftermath of uh, Friday's attacks, all sporting fixtures, uh, you know, remotely close to Paris were cancelled. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think that that was the the right decision because at the time the police, uh, you know, were trying to piece together uh, exactly what had happened. Uh, you know, the you know, there's now been a manhunt started, and the suspect 
could still have been in Paris, could still be in Paris um, at, at this time. So I think it was the right decision to, to take at that moment when details are still unclear, uh, that you know, no, no other sporting events uh, should, should go ahead. Uh, there was a possibility that uh, all League 1 and uh, League 2 fixtures would be cancelled uh, this coming weekend. However, uh, the decision has been taken this morning, uh, you know, as you said earlier, to, to not carry on fear and to, to, to try and show that, uh, that, that life goes on uh, as unchanged as, uh, as, as possible. Uh, and you know, I think now because of the, the the way that it sounds like this manhunt is uh, is evolving because of that, the the, the Belgium game against Spain has had to be uh, cancelled. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in, a, in a in a show of defiance against what happened in Paris last Friday, you then have the the French national team travelling to uh, travelling to London to play in the friendly against uh, against England. And you know, I think that that is. Uh, also, uh, the the right decision. Uh, I can appreciate it's going to be a very emotional moment for for, for many of the people involved. Certainly, somebody like Lasana Diara, you know, who I'm thinking about right now, he lost uh, a cousin in the uh, in the attacks last week. Uh, you know, somebody like Antoine Griezmann would have also been uh, affected, not not to the same degree as Diara, because uh, Griezmann's sister, although uh, caught up in it all, you know, was able to uh, to escape. Uh, but you know there are some some players and some members of staff who have been particularly affected uh, by what happens. But I do think that it's uh, it, it's the right decision to go ahead with the game, and I think it'll be a fantastic show of solidarity. I imagine it'll be a very emotional scene there at Wembley. Um, uh, you know, reading about the the, the signs of support that uh, that are intended there. Um, from the English FA and, and from English uh, football fans, I imagine uh, a, a, a stadium full of English football fans singing the French nat- national anthem will be something that we'll uh, we'll we'll long remember, especially when it comes to again the solidarity that 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 you know whether or not Europe is fractured, which of course it is, and it's still a family. No matter the history between uh, between these two countries, there's uh, certainly a shared uh, belief that that these um, that we have to stand up together to these terrorists, uh, Jonathan. Um, when when you look at what um, what this means going forward, uh, we we sort of already talked about what the tenor of a, of, a, of attending a match might uh, how that might change, uh, but are there are there larger ramifications? And, and certainly, how does the I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I know Alain uh, had his speech yesterday, made his his uh, request uh, of the French uh, government to, to to help him fight this. I know the French have already gone into. Um, some places to attempt to uh, to 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 quash the the threat of these terrorists. How does all of that affect the football? Well, I think, like I said earlier, you know, people will uh, you know sort of think twice before going to the game. So you might see attendances take a little hit. Uh, you know, that's understandable uh, in the sh- in the short term. But I think in the long term, uh, you know, that people shouldn't be put off uh, going to watch uh, football matches because, like I said, you know. It did happen in Paris, and it's happened in Paris twice now this year. But it could also happen uh, anywhere else in Europe, or you know, anywhere else in the world. You know, it, it would be possible to target pretty much any city uh, across the globe. So I, I don't think that people should, uh, you know, not go to football matches out of fear of a repeat of what we saw at uh, at, at Stade de France uh, and in Paris. You know, I think that at the end of the day, the, the not going to to matches like that, not wanting to play. Uh, in matches and not wanting to, to, to be in Paris, you know, it's almost handing uh, handing victory to the terrorists. I mean, of course, I understand people, uh, you know, in in the immediate aftermath of uh, of what happened, you know, wishing that they weren't in uh, in Paris and not wanting to return uh, to the city. But uh, you know, overall, I think that uh, it's 
I agree that you know, with 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 much of the the French sentiment, that although it's a it's a, an extremely sad moment for for France as a nation and for Paris as a city, that uh, you know everybody has to show that uh, that life goes on, and uh, and football is no different to that. Uh, Jonathan, before uh, before we let you go, certainly a, a very difficult conversation, a, a lot of uh, a lot of information, very important things there. Uh, to take it to a, a slightly less important place uh, from the American perspective, Bob Bradley. Uh, got his Lahav uh, Lahav career underway um, this past weekend in uh, or this yeah this past weekend and ended up losing to a sixth division side in the Coupe de France. Uh, does that 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 bode poorly for him moving forward? I mean, how do you how do you uh, how, how do you view a, a loss in in a cup tournament to a much lower division side for Lahav and Bob Bradley? Yeah, it's certainly not a good start for Bob Bradley, but at the same time, I think you know a lot of things have to be taken into account there. I mean, not not least what happened on Friday. You know, I don't think there's many players who took part in any of the games across the weekend that were allowed to go ahead. You know, I don't think that many players would have been in the right frame of mind to to go into that. Um, uh, but that said, regardless, you know, even if uh, Friday's atrocity hadn't happened and Ralph had still crushed out of the cup, I think that it's you know it could be a blessing in disguise for for for, for Bob Bradley. I you know I think that he needs time to get to grips with his squad, uh, you know, and I think that the cup uh, certainly with this team at the moment pushing for uh, for promotion. Uh, you know, I think that they they will stand a better chance of going up if they're just able to concentrate on uh, on these doing, not have to worry about any uh, any domestic cup uh, commitments that they have. So I think that although yes, uh, you know, obviously it looks bad on paper. You know, your first outing as uh, as new boss and you lose, uh, you know, to a to a to a far inferior side. Uh, you know, I think that. It, at the end of the day, in terms of his chances of getting Ralph into uh, into league on this season, uh, you know I think that it will actually help uh, Bob Bradley's chances of getting promotion, if anything. Mm. Yeah, certainly possible. You, you take away that uh, that uh, well to call it a distraction uh, is unfair, perhaps to that tournament, but alas. Uh, for Bob Bradley's situation, it, it may actually be a good thing. Jonathan, I, I know you've uh, spoken a, a lot about the events of Friday, um, and I very much appreciate you doing it again here with us on Soccer Morning. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully there can be uh, some uh, some peace and some understanding coming out of this. I, I know the political situation in in France is not going to get better anytime soon, uh, but we will uh, certainly cross our fingers and, and hope that uh, that times get better and that uh, that people begin to 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 see. Uh, the, the path forward that does not necessarily uh, re- reside in, in hate. Uh, definitely, Jason. Cross my fingers as well. And thanks a lot for having me on. There you go. Jonathan Johnson. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Jonathan Johnson there again. It's a, it's a difficult conversation. It's hard to try to put soccer and football in context with what we saw in Paris in Paris on Friday. To try to say that this is, hey, let's have a conversation about a game, about 22 guys kicking a ball around a, a patch of grass in light of what happened and people losing their lives, 129 people, every one of them a precious soul, losing their lives. I mean, there is nothing more tragic than, than, than death before your time. I mean, I, there, there's nothing that can be said about those events that will bring any solace to the people who are um, who are affected by them in this moment and and football really doesn't have a place here now but it can be something of a of a band-aid something of a a salve to this to these wounds not going to heal anything
But maybe we take the first steps today at Wembley with England and France. Thanks to Jonathan Johnson. That's good stuff. Let's uh, take a break. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines. We'll talk to you. It does not have to be about Paris. It does not have to be about that. It could be about the United States and Trinidad and Tobago. It'll be about Jurgen Klinsmann. I got sound bites. Stay right there. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are on Soccer Morning Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It is It is International Fixture Day. World Cup qualifying, CONCACAF, CONMEBOL, uh, European qualifiers, European Championship qualifiers. That's not, that's not, yeah. So it's a bunch of games today. I mean, if you look through the schedule, it's pretty fascinating. Again, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on a friendly. A lot of eyes are going to be on on England and France because of of what happened on Friday and because of the response that we expect uh, from the English. But there are a lot of games going on today. There's, uh, oh man, there's uh, there's a lot of games in Africa. As a matter of fact, World Cup qualifying: Cameroon and Niger, Niger, Nigeria and Swaziland, Congo, Ethiopia, Ghana, Cameroon, uh, Comoros. Let me get that right. South Africa, Angola, Tunisia, Mauritania, Cote d'Ivoire in Liberia, Algeria, Tanzania, Senegal, Madagascar. And then, of course, your uh, your European games. There's a couple of friendlies in addition to the actual playoffs. The friendlies, Luxembourg and Portugal. That's what the Portuguese need. A good, strong test in Luxembourg. Denmark and Sweden. Mentioned that one up the top of the show. Sweden leading 2-1 on aggregate as they uh, travel uh, to Copenhagen. Slovenia and Ukraine, 2-0 lead for Ukraine. Uh, Italy and Romania in a friendly. Germany and the Netherlands in a friendly. England, France. We already talked about how uh, Belgium and Spain was canceled due to the security threats there. Commonwealth Games. Colombia, Argentina. Venezuela, Ecuador, Paraguay, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, Peru. Then there's the CONCACAF games. And, of course, we know the United States is in uh, Port of Spain to play Trinidad and Tobago, but you also have Honduras hosting Mexico. You also have Haiti hosting Jamaica, El Salvador hosting Canada. Canada coming off a, a one nothing win over Honduras, making them feel pretty good. Panama and Costa Rica, also on the schedule tonight. The United States plays on BN Sport. Uh, doesn't seem to be much of an uproar about it. Maybe we've all come to finally understand where these games are and, and accept that this is the TV situation. The first time I see... Oh, man. I mean, I you know, I, I want to make a drinking game out of this. The first time you see somebody on Twitter say, Yeah, U.S. soccer, what the hell? Why is this game on, on a channel I don't get? Don't do a shot. Cause if you do, if you start that, then you have to continue. And next thing you know, you're in the hospital with alcohol poisoning. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. But hopefully it doesn't happen that much. 
We're all here. We're all uh, we're all good. United States and Trinidad and Tobago. What do we make of this particular game? What do we expect? Again, Jurgen Klinsmann made some interesting choices for his lineup against St. Vincent and the Grenadines, a game that oh, was never really going to be in doubt, no matter how quickly St. Vincent scored, and they did in the first five minutes. You can get away with DeAndre Edlin at right back. You can play Fabio Johnson, left midfield. You can start Bobby Wood up top with Josie Altidore. Tonight against TNT, I imagine we'll see something slightly different. It's a little bit more of a, a danger on the wings from the Soka Warriors. So if we, if we see the Soka Warriors push forward with their fullbacks, that's going to put pressure on a guy like Yedlin. Should he be at right back? I don't expect he will. But Jurgen Klinsmann also had some thoughts on the criticism that he's been getting recently, and this is not new. He likes to talk about these things, but these are new thoughts, and I thought I'd share them. This is uh, courtesy of U.S. Soccer via video that they produced, and actually Yahoo chopped it up. I don't know. I couldn't find the clean version. I don't know where the original is, so that's why you're going to hear a music sting at the very beginning. But this is Jurgen Klinsmann on the criticism he's received as U.S. men's national team head coach. When you hear a lot of people talking, you know, some things are going wrong because you lost maybe two or three games recently then that's a bit uh, uh, immature. <laughs> that's simply wrong. And I think, you know, there's a lot of work ahead of us in all our areas, uh, but there's also a lot of excitement. And I think, you know, this is what a lot of people, unfortunately, forget quickly, because suddenly, because we came out of the group of death in uh, Brazil, I don't know, people now expect maybe miracles. They expect you to, I don't know, get easily in the final four of a World Cup or final eight or or you know, have our under-20s win the World Cup in uh, New Zealand or our under-17s win the World Cup in Chile. And that's not going to happen because this is only a process that over many, many years uh, will hopefully one day end in big, big successes. But all, all of our programs you know, made big strides, made big uh, steps forward. Now going into the, the next qualifying campaign, you kind of are a bit more relaxed about things. You know, you'd still know that it's going to be a long road and you will not win every game on that uh, stretch towards Russia 2018. But uh, it definitely helps you. Every experience that we had, you know, in the last couple of years helped you. And, uh, and I think, you know, we can be proud of ourselves what we've done so far, you know, the last couple of years. So much there to unpack. We'll, we'll come to that. 646, you're on the air. <clears throat> hey, uh, Jason, it's Aaron, number 22, hey, giving you a call Aaron? back. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing? Good, good. How, how are you doing? Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, great to, that we can get back to you know football here after such a terrible time, uh, you know, last week in, in France. And uh, you know, I, I just think um, you know it, it's. Uh, I mean, people haven't really been talking about this, but it, it's clearly you know you're going to see a new generation of security um, at large venues now because obviously you know that was really one of the targets. So that's what's. Uh, it's really, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of changes the, you know, some of the culture that exists, especially in Europe, like in Italy and, and, uh, and, you know, I'd say in Italy, especially where you have, you know, kind of a big ultra, you know, yeah. culture there. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to change, obviously all of that. It's going to feel more like when you go to an NFL game, you know, when you go to an NFL game, you, you don't think it's weird that, you know, basically you can't bring anything in and, you know, you're checked up and down, you know, several times. Yeah. So, I, I'm not one of those um, people, Aaron, who likes to weep for lost innocence. Generally speaking. I mean, this is just the way things are now you deal with it. You move on exactly. your life, especially in this country. I mean, uh, we are, we are, in, we are still incredibly lucky. I mean, there's going to be fights about civil liberties on going. I understand. 
understand that. I know Oland basically reached out and, and asked for every power in the book uh, to, to fight this thing. And I'm not sure how I feel about that response, but we are still incredibly lucky to live in the society we do with the freedoms we have. And, and it, 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 that doesn't mean I'm okay with take, people taking away our, our civil liberties. But there's sometimes I, I just I don't understand why we get uh, we get really reactionary about something that is meant to protect us. Well, you know, it, it's it, it's this, you know, complaining subculture that we have that, you know, I kind of call it narcissistic indulgence. You know, it's it's the way we've kind of just made every little micro, you know, slight to an extreme attack on ourselves. And then we can retweet them out real time, like it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, like someone's targeting us yeah. because they moved our Canon camera two feet in the room, you know. And and uh, and I, I I mean the way I look at it is at the end of the day, you know, the world is coming. This is an example of the bad side of the world coming together, but the world's coming together. It's physics. You're not going to stop the good and the bad that happens. It's all going to get amplified and. Uh, you know, I, I would say one thing when it comes to sport, which is really impressive, I would say, is the response that you've had, you know, the, the, the unnationalistic kind of response that you've seen from all over the world, yeah. not just, yeah. you know, um, in France or, or kind of what you'd expect in Europe. And, and, and I think, you know, to be really honest, um, you know, these, the, you know, these clowns targeted, I think the wrong thing when you target something like football, because it's such a global game. It's such a completely global definition of a, you know, of a sport, of a culture. And I, I really think that they had no understanding that, that, that the response would be kind of, you know, this unified. I yeah. mean, you know, where you have players from all over the world, you know, you have, you have, you know, Germans, you know, wearing, um, you know, French flags uh, as, as jerseys. I mean, when's the last time you'd think Germans would be wearing French flags as jerseys, uh, right? They, they, uh, and, and so... <laughs> You know, yeah, I, you know, sorry. No, no, no. It's, 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 I mean, the English are, they, there's a plan for the English fans to all sing the French national anthem t today at the, at the game at, at Wembley. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, obviously the last hundred years haven't been, weren't like the previous 500, but there was that history <laughs> <Exactly>. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I really think, um, you know, in, in, in a very interesting way. I mean, you know, this isn't usually the topics of your, of your show, but, um, you know, the, the, the kind of collapse of NATO and all those kind of European institutions, it's almost like, uh, you know, this, this set of events kind of helped put a lot of these pieces back together. Yeah. And I, I would say that, you know, people who, you know, it's the whole stand together, or, you know, hang alone kind of, uh, or what is it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Stand together or hang together. Right. And uh, that Ben Franklin said, and I, I just think it's kind of the, the same thing. And I think sport is really, front and center in this. And I would say football is to an extreme and, and kind of the, this weird timing where, you know, happened during an international break and yeah. all this kind of stuff is, is just kind of feeding it because, you know, this is the moment when you're not thinking of club, you're thinking of country and you're thinking kind of of the, of the whole world sport. And, um, you know, so I, it's going to be very, you know, kind of fascinating to see this kind of play out, uh, you know, through players. Because you know one of the French players lost, uh, I think it's his cousin. Yeah, Lassana um, Diarra. You know, you know, was was killed. Yeah, and and uh, you know, so it's it's very, you know, it's it's kind of you know when you read about just these, you know, the, the player side of this and the sports side of it, it's really kind of you know remarkable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, but I mean, a great show yesterday. I know it kind of went thick on this, but, uh, one thing in a lighter note is, uh, Klinsman's been talking a lot, which, uh, is either really a good sign or a bad sign. I don't know how to figure that one out. Well, but, what do you, uh, Aaron, what do you, you know, what do you make, what do you, what do you make of him saying that criticism of the team because they've lost two or three games is quote unquote immature? I mean, I think I understand if he was in Germany saying that, but I think he sometimes forgets. And, and you know what? I, I don't think forget is the right answer anymore. I think he's becoming the ultimate American politician. And maybe that's the sad truth that to survive in any public institutional setting, you become kind of a hack, even if you don't want to be. And I think he's kind of becoming a little bit of a hack that way where, you know, he's kind of trying to have it all ways. Sometimes I like to say it's to an extreme, um, you know, you know, he's trying to be Professor Klinsman, which, you know, was yeah. kind of cute and, and endearing four years ago. It gets a little thick when he doesn't take the heat. I think if he took the heat, I, I actually think if he took the heat while he was a professor, I think it, that could actually help him a lot. Probably. Because uh, no, it would I agree. show his maturity. He's not getting fired. I mean, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. They right. don't want to write a check for $30 million. So, you know, he kind of can do this anyways. You know, and, and I just think he has to get his ego out of the way. And, and look, I mean, he, he's really right about one thing. If you're, if you, if you can't experiment this year in the World Cup cycle, you can never experiment. And so he should just stick to the guns on this and say, by the way, experimentation looks like this. It looks like losing. Okay. It looks like, but again, you know, my issue isn't necessarily his reaction. My, my issue isn't that he's responding to criticism by saying, "Hey, there's a larger plan here." I mean, I may not see it. It, it may be, uh, it may be murky for me, and I may have criticisms about that part of it. But if that's his response, that's fine. That's understandable. But his response is to, again, to to um, insult the intelligence of the average American soccer fan and the media. And look, I, I, actually, put, I actually put myself in the in the fan box before I put myself in the media box, and I'm just tired of this guy, who again has has brought the level of the team to a point now where we have to question whether or not they can compete against X, Y, or Z teams that, that wasn't an issue before. Um, he's done that, and now when we say, hey, what's going on here, he says, well, we're, that, that's an immature response to this. No, you can't. Well, see, this is, this is my real problem with Klinsman, which I think goes to the heart of, you know, when we hired him, slashed, you know, his program, is that he really fails to communicate a, a, an identity definition. And, and, I, I, and I'm not saying it's easy. I actually think it's a really, I think it's the hardest nut to crack in American sports history since integration in sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it, because, and I know this sounds like a, that sounds like a wild statement. Yeah. Because saving the NBA in the 70s and 80s was pretty ugly. Boxing has gone sideways. But the reason is there's a, clash of culture here there is an american style we just you know quote unquote the mainstream doesn't like it because you know what that style is it looks a lot like the nba with a huge latin flavor to it it's basically a latin hip-hop you know culture of speed of attack of Mm -hmm. aggression mixed together Mm -hmm. and that's a big change from the traditional youth upper quarter 
percentile well, you know, they, club <laughs> showcase soccer what, what what you're identifying Aaron and and, and I, people are going to have a visceral reaction to this when I say it but the, what you're talking about is the white privilege within American soccer yeah thank you because you because you're you're in charge of the show and I don't want to be the guy that that dumped that but that's exactly what it is so the real thing that Klinsman could have done because he's the outsider, he's the, well, I'm going to get fired anyways, ha, 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 right, he can be that guy that can take the heat, kind of take the hit for the team almost, is he could have been the guy who says, look, this is going to be a brutal transition because it's happened in every other sphere of our life, but I'm going to force this in, and we're going to keep the percentages of the you know, of the things that worked in that, like you said, white privilege and soccer, because there are some benefits in the institutionalization components. I'm not going to say all that has been horrible, mm-hmm. but, but, but we, but we just have not, we've allowed 80% of Americans to just not participate. When I say not participate, I mean the kids yeah. and, and allow yeah. their identity come out. And basically he could have said, I'm going to build, you know, I'm just making it up here, but like hip hop four three three, right? I mean, I'm just <laughs> completely throwing stuff against the wall sure, here. Sure, sure. But but basically, this kind of you know this new concept in American attack culture football, which has a style and identity to itself. And by the way, I think we're ready for it. I think the media and I think the consumer and the branding is ready for it. I think there's big business behind it. I would argue our legacy soccer is actually very bad for business it's very boring it doesn't have a lot of flair oh, i'm with you it's hustle I'm and, with you. and 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 the truth is i think if you pivoted and he's the guy that and i actually believe he has the intelligence and even the technical acumen contrary to what everyone thinks he's you know a knucklehead and all this i mean he might be a knucklehead in some things but he's not a stupid football iq guy I mean, he, you know, he clearly can, uh, can, can talk and articulate football. I think he struggled in navigating this. And I think part, and this is the problem with European football and managers, and I've seen this in, in business too. There is a wait for someone else to take charge. It's something we're not used to in the U.S. because we just assume like no one does it, then get up and do it. In other cultures, sometimes people just don't get up and do it. And I think one thing I'm realizing with Klinsman, he's not a guy who's going to be like, go to the meeting and say, hey, guys, I've waited two years for this. What's going on? I'm going to go implement it. I don't really care what you're saying. A lot of Americans would go do that. Bob Bradley Sr. did that stuff. It got him in trouble. But he, he did that. And, and I think that's a gap that mm-hmm. a Klinsman or most Europeans have in management style. Yeah. And I think you're seeing it right now. Is that in the end, it's almost going to be like, well, I put the ideas out there, like, okay, so, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I made, I, I had a, a tweet yesterday that kind of got, I, 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 look, I was dropping, you know, I, I was dropping a turd in the middle of the room and seeing what the reaction would be, but I essentially said that the big, that a Big Ten approach to American soccer is not possible. And I, and I didn't just mean fandom, but some people took it that way. And, and I got a lot of responses that were, well, we can all get behind the U.S. national team. And I want to say, no, that's not, that, that leaves a lot of people out. Not just, uh, not just like, you know, your, your average Euro snob who roots for the Germans, but an entire segment of, of our population, uh, Americans who are Mexico fans and Honduras fans and, and El Salvador right. fans. And, and, and so what I'm, what I, what I, essentially what I said is it's impossible to have a Big Ten approach, but that's Klinsman's job is to find the best way to tackle that very issue. And it seems to me 
And sometimes you have to overcorrect. If we've had 30, 40 years of staid suburban soccer dictating our direction as a country, maybe you overcorrect. And now you say, okay, let's, let's really identify the, the other elements within our soccer culture, which again is fragmented and try to pull some of those things together. And I think he's failed on that front. I, I think whether or not he's, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And, and I think there's great opportunities. I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. This is a complete antidote. There's no data behind this, but I just, feel there is because I live right outside of New York city in one of these, you know, nice little pocket suburban areas is that I, I read this, this article about, you know, Jay-Z's kids, you know, like they play soccer. Like you're telling me get a hundred of guys like him, not that there's a hundred Jay-Z's, but a hundred people that represent this meta data of crossover, right? They're just meta crossover. Like they touch something and it just becomes crossover. It right. could be like, a plastic plate and now it's crossover plastic plate, right? <laughs> and and it's it's <laughs> Where'd you go, Aaron? Kind of almost oh, ambassadors. Yeah. Okay. And 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 you really show this idea that like you said, you overcorrect to not just generic urban, but this, you know, a mix of Latin urban and you know, you mm-hmm. have this whole HBO special that's come out on basically, you know, how Latinos have gone from you know, uh, you know, you know, two percent to you know, huge, you know, whatever, thirty-five percent of the population or thirty percent of the population in the U.S. and 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 so th- there's just this, th- there's an underswelling of massive, you know, leadership out there that you could tap, and I just think U.S. soccer suffers through this, but I think Klinsman because he one thing in that culture. He has credibility, even if he doesn't have credibility with them. He's won a World Cup, right. won Champions League. I mean, people get winners, like mm. the winners. And he can, you know, he can, he can throw his bling around, and it's real. It's not some artificial made tier well, three and, stuff. And let's be like, honest, you know, there, there aren't a lot of Americans. That's that half the reason you hire him. Sitting in their house. Yeah, that's that's half the reason you hire him. It's not just about what he achieved with Germany or 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 what his coaching background is, or even it. it well, it is about his playing background because that playing background gives him the cachet to then walk into those communities and say, "Hi, I'm Jurgen Klinsmann." Oh, okay, now we're listening to you, and 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 that's exactly that. From that front, I can understand U.S. soccer looking for the shortcut because there is no other way around. You hire Bob Bradley; he could be the most brilliant soccer mind in the world. He's not, but he could be, and it doesn't matter because he can't build those bridges. Why is Klinsmann not doing a better job of building those bridges? I, and, and, you know, I really think this goes back to having, you know, when I was in the army, I was in Europe and I spent some time in Germany and, and, and I, it's, it's, it's oversimplistic to label a whole population and X, a Y, a Z. It's not that, it's not that simple, but there is a very orderly nature to kind of, you know, tight, successful German kind of engineering. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think one of the, one of the challenges with hiring kind of an engineer is that you're not getting an architect. And I think that's part of our challenge is that, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, like Bessla, right? I mean, we had a conversation a month ago, whatever, about, you know, it would be like the best three years of chaos ever. If you please, we got a guy like that because you're kind of getting the chaos guy who's just challenging every norm in every direction. And I think that's part of the problem well, with Klinsman, yeah. even though he's American and even though his kids are, 
and they're playing and they're, but, but they live in the nice communities like we, most of us all do that are involved in soccer is that, that they're not able to tap that mm-hmm. real authentic place that people live in this country that aren't participating. And, and I think he just struggles with figuring out, like he ultimately is not American. I mean, I don't mean yeah, that in maybe, a bad maybe. way. I just mean that in the, in the immigrant way. Yeah. I, I look, I, I think that for Klinsman, uh, and, and, and maybe it speaks to the German thing, you certainly know better than I do. He, he views this as sort of this top down project. He can say, we need to do this thing, or we should change this, or we, we, we have to focus on that. And, and somehow it magically happens because maybe in Germany it would magically happen. The, the boss of the national team says, do something. Okay. We all down through the pyramid, do something. This is a, this is a country that I think is, in terms of soccer, is much more bottom up. It, it's much more about, Absolutely. uh, not just the, you know, not just the, the big structures of youth soccer and the, the massive money making machines that are, um, these clubs and these tournaments and everything else, but certainly the grassroots soccer that exists in, in communities who don't have access to those tournaments and, and, and that money. Um, and, and again, I, I mean, it just, while you're talking there, Aaron, and I'm <laughs> listening, it occurs to me that the difference, the gap between Go out to your to your average American suburb around a city like New York, D.C., um, certainly Los Angeles in certain areas, a- any of these big cities, and find a, a suburban soccer complex. Okay, uh, these games, yep, these games are happening. They're fun. The parents are doing whatever. They're crazy. Okay, that is a universe, a a, a universe away from the kids or the the adults for that matter who are playing pickup games. On a patch of, of, of dirty grass, of, of dust in, in the middle of the city. And maybe that game is entirely done. You know, maybe everyone's speaking Spanish on that field. The gap between As that, that game and the suburban game is bigger, bigger than the gap between any American football game ever, anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and you know, it's very interesting. I, I, I live in a town, basically Teaneck, New Jersey, which is this very multicultural town. And we have a big kind of soccer complex. It used to be kind of a bad set of fields. Now it's just a big, modern bad set of fields with all kinds of turf on them and stuff. But, but basically at 9 o'clock at night, the adult tournaments or the adult league plays. And there's this amazing – you can just come out there and watch. There's this amazing kind of Trinidad, Caribbean, Latin teams. You know, people from right. Guatemala, they yeah. either have like a Central American kind of like almost like a cosmos of Central America or individual teams or Jamaican team. And you see a quality of play. And these are guys and gals that are in the mid-20s at the earliest usually, all the way up until pretty much, let's say, early mid-40s, you know, consistently. And they're balling. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, and there's no, and they have real refs. I mean, they, they, they you know, this is, they take this very seriously. And, but you see a technical sophistication yeah. and, a, and an awareness of the game. And then you ask these guys, and I've done this over the years, and I coached and refs, you know, how many of you guys, you know, coach or work with kids? And they all have tried, but they get rebuffed at the door mm. because of that, that culture. And, and, of course, they don't know our institutional right. engine and why would someone want to set up yeah. a club and, and, and go through all the and BS. You know what? <laughs> and, Sorry, go you ahead. Know, and to me, that's the gap. The yeah. gap is a guy like Klinsman could say, hey, 1-800 if you know soccer, call this number. <laughs> right, right. And I'm serious. Exactly. Like, bottom up. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and just say, you know, we're going to take phone calls from all over the country, use Google Maps, you know, it's web and social crap. You can do anything nowadays for, you know, 500 bucks. Yes. And, right. 
and basically start putting together this nascent groundswell, you know, league that in some ways competes, you know, and, and, and then I think it takes off from there. And I think this guy would become a rock star I, in that world. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to have to move on. Somebody else wants to get in, but yep. I, 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 it just, I mean, we, we need to build an app here. I mean, I know that may not be accessible to everybody, but we need to build an app here. Let's you just like log something. Oh, maybe you see a, a special player. He's 16 and he's playing on, again, that, right. that patch of dirt somewhere. Um, it, or, or even on the suburban field after all of the other families go home and nobody's, you know, the, yep. a different culture now enters the room and the thing about this is and I'll, I'll clear uh, I'll finish this with this thought Aaron I, I think that again when I ask about Big Tent and whether or not that's even possible and people give me this thing about well you know maybe we can all get behind the national team or oh if, if only the MLS focused more on grassroots instead of money making or whatever their, their argument is Again, you are myopic in your viewpoint you are leaving and I'm not saying this is I'm not saying this to be mean to anybody I'm not saying I'm not throwing uh, hatred towards you because you, you fail sometimes to see outside yourself, but your little soccer bubble is not the soccer world, and it's certainly exactly. not the, it's certainly not the American soccer world, because what happens in that game that Aaron just described is as much American soccer as anything that happens with a bunch of 13 year olds running around while mom and dad scream about, you know, whatever. So, um, send it, send it yeah, offside. Yeah, <laughs> yes, know, exactly. You know, foul, yellow card. I mean, I, I trust me as a ref and a coach, I have seven terms. I've heard 700,000 yeah. times <laughs> and I'm, and we all roll each other's eyes and we're just like, my God. And, and look, that stuff, get through this. That stuff you know? is going to, as the, as we get generally, uh, generationally into the, the game more, the, the parents become more educated and that stuff happens less. Let's hope. Aaron, I appreciate the call, man. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to send you an email because I think that's a great idea. That, okay. And I work in tech, so, Ooh, you know, whatever. There we go. We can, we can throw some crazy something together. We're making stuff happen. Thanks for the call, Aaron. Aaron up in Jersey. Fantastic to talk to him always. That was a 20 minute phone call. I didn't realize. Aaron from Jersey, the co-host of, Amer of Soccer Morning, apparently. 323, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Jason. Uh, Rob from LA. What's going on, Rob? Hey, I want to talk about, uh, MLS Reigns, as you were talking about yesterday, and you were saying how just getting uh, MLS into uh, you know the American mainstream sports system is a uh, it's a long term thing, and, and I agree with you, it is a long term thing. But there's something that I, I think that we can be done in the short term, like you know, in order to create a tradition, you got to create a, like a pattern, yeah. and is cross promoting. And I noticed this uh, with NBC is like all oh, their NBC Sports they promote the Premier League, and that's why the Premier League. Uh, I mean, we're with World Soccer Talk, and then they, they came out an article this week saying how ratings have grown 150%. Yeah. And I was just thinking if, because uh, they promote on Sunday night football, on college football, hockey, and all the other sports things they have, and I never see that with ESPN or, or with Fox in that general. Like, during, like, they have the NFL, but they never promote it, or college basketball or NBA. And I was just thinking, is that one, one small step in order, in the long term goal to, help create better yeah, range for yeah. MLS. It certainly is, but I, 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 this is, a this is again, another instance of a chicken and egg problem for American soccer, for MLS, for those products on television. So if you're ESPN and Fox Sports 1 and you have the contract, and I don't know how often Univision shows ads, uh, promos for MLS, but, uh, or Unimas for that matter, uh, but if you're Fox Sports 1 and ESPN and you're showing things like College football, the big Sunday night, uh, Saturday college football game that ESPN has, or all the college football FS1 has during the day on Saturday, or NFL on, on, on ESPN when they have Monday night football. If you're doing that, 
those those ad slots are worth a certain amount of money to you, right? I mean, they have a value, and they have a pretty good value depending on the, the game. Certainly any NFL ad slot is worth a lot of money. If you're looking at that and you're considering what to put in those slots and you've, you've budgeted a certain amount of those times for your product to promote your product, are you going to give that time to MLS? I'm not saying they shouldn't. Uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not saying they should. I'm pondering here what that thought process might be when they sit there in Bristol, Connecticut and say, okay, what are we running? What promos are we running during Monday Night Football? Should we run an MLS promo? And I don't, I don't know that MLS is to the point where they feel like they can justify it. They might rather run a promo for, uh, uh, you know, a golf event or something that, that right now, frankly, gets better ratings, Rob. I mean, that's part of the problem. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but uh, I'm just looking. This is just one suggestion in the short term goal. I'm just saying, it, in order, it takes, since they have the right for like, I don't know, eight years, and like, you might as well just do one, maybe oh, no, one. You, 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 maybe you one will be nice. It will be nice. You, you certainly hope that that comes with the, with the contract, and that, and that starts to build more. And I think FS1 has done a reasonable job of promoting their soccer products. I, I can't, I mean, ES, uh, whether it's MLS or, or the national team games that they've gotten, I think there there is an effort there. They can always do more, and and the problem is that you know we are as soccer fans we are incredibly invested in seeing that happen so that the ratings can grow, et cetera, et cetera. But they may feel like they've already done enough, Rob. They may have seen that they may think that the promos that they run are more than enough to uh, to 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 give the sort of boost to the to the MLS product that that is um uh, that is necessary. I mean they may, they may see this as a well we run six promos during x y or z period. Let's we can't justify anymore. We we have other promos to run. I mean both of those networks FS1 and ESPN have a lot of content that they need to promote. Well, yes, but those like x y and z just happen to be higher soccer events. Like MLS will promote the Champions League and then Champions League will both yeah. To promote MLS and the yeah. Bundesliga, but it won't be like, you know, the, the American sports. And, and that's just one thing I'm saying. I know it's a long-term yeah. process, but like I said, it's just, I feel there's something they can yeah. do in the short term. Well, look, I think, and that's a, just all I want to say. I appreciate it, Robert. I, I, there's a lot of things that go into, again, selling the American MLS product. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, look, I, I'm at this point, I, I watch the league. I don't think the league's going anywhere. I'm having fun with it. They've got an eight year contract. I don't have to worry about it being on TV or not. So really, it's, it's no skin off my nose. Uh, how much they promote it, what the ratings are. Unless we, unless we're just going to jump to, well, uh, the ratings provide for the next contract and that's how MLS gets bigger or better. Or maybe it justifies more spending on the part of the, the owners. If they see the ratings improve and they know their next TV contract is going to be better. Okay, fine. That stuff I care about. Uh, but when we talk about putting this product on television, what's going to sell MLS, and this is true of anything, is the gravity of the event. What's going to sell MLS is whether or not it feels important. Because the NFL always feels important. The, the crowds are always there. The, 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 the way that it's presented always gives these games certain weight. And MLS has have for a long time struggled to build that gravity, to build that weight into their product, to make it feel important. It sometimes it feels like a day out at the park and oh look we got a hot dog and a coke for little Cindy and and Bobby's over there you know uh looking at the jumbotron while the game's going on the fans are not necessarily engaged 
This is why supporter culture has been such a big thing for MLS and why they pushed it so hard because they know that what, what supporter culture does is bring that weight to the game. It makes the game feel important. When people are cheering and screaming and, and, and chanting and singing, it makes the game feel big. It's, that's why the Premier League works. Not just because it's the, some of the best soccer in the world or because it's fast and fun, but because the atmospheres there make the whole thing pop off the screen. People watch the Premier League for the soccer. They also watch because those fans, because the crowds, because of how it sounds at Old Trafford, at Anfield, at Stamford Bridge. MLS has got to be on that path, charging forward, consolidating the newfound atmospheres. I just saw today that there's only a thousand tickets left for the second leg of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Columbus Crew and the New York Red Bulls. So Red Bull Arena will be rocking a week from Sunday. Absolutely rocking. I hope that that's, uh, you know, I know it's going to be hard because you got the, the NFL casting a shadow, but I hope people watch because I think it'll be fun. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Thank you very much. To Jonathan Johnson, who was brilliant. Um, tough times to be covering French football. Tough times to be in France. Tough times to be dealing with any of this. Uh, but it was uh, a good discussion, an important discussion. And we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, talk about the United States game against Trinidad Tobago again tonight, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on BN Sport. It's also on NBC Universal in, in Spanish, but it's there. Uh, that's another place you can watch it. Most, uh, most, Cable network uh, television providers, uh, satellite providers will have that. At least DirecTV does. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Later.